Gabe is isn't here because he has alopecia. Uh, it's the, yeah, Gabe has a temporary alopecia. He is not here. What's alopecia? Um, I don't even know what alopecia is. It's when you don't have any hair. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we, Gabe. Uh, so we're gonna have uh, Gabe's not here because um, it turns out he's had alopecia all along and he lost his toupee and he needs yeah his toupee he had to confidence. he had to sharpie on all. Yeah, he had to he, sharpie on all of his his expressions. Yeah, he 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 gets that's where he gets all of his expressions. It's from his toupee. It's also where he gets his, his podcasting confidence. So, Gabe, we wish mm-hmm. you all the best of luck with your alopecia and uh, hope for a, a speedy toupee recovery. Yeah, just David and I today, uh, who just are both us. fully fully haired, virile, uh, low testosterone. Yes. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to talk about one thing because this is kind of breaking news, and right? Yep, yep, yep. Oh yeah, baby, that was that was the real stuff. That was the real deal. So this was written by Heather Vogel in ProPublica. Basically, she uncovered a whistleblower complaint, which is always exciting. Uh oh! Ding dong! That's not what a whistle sounds like, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, oh, the whistle? Oh, oh the whistles go. <laughs> the latest rage for kids is driving parents and entire neighborhoods crazy. Nearly every muffler shop in Oakland is installing whistler tips. It's a piece of metal welded inside the exhaust pipes that makes the car audible for almost a mile. Tell me about the whistles. The whistles go whoop. Well, you want to whoop whoop. It's that woo woo. Some, some neighbors are saying way too loud. That's only in the morning. Yeah. He supposed to be up cooking breakfast or somebody, and so that's like an alarm clock. Woo woo. Hong Kong. Yeah. So basically, there was a whistleblower complaint that was sent to the Securities and Exchange Commission last year that was previously unreported upon until. Heather Vogel came upon it. Uh, it accuses 14 major lenders, inclu- including Wells Fargo and a few others, Deutsche Bank being another one, of uh, widespread manipulation of mortgage funds. So, wow. Uh, David. Wow. David. <laughs> so I shared this with a couple people, just like personal personal homies, and they were like, oh, my God, shocking. Like, it's just uh, no one's really even surprised by this anymore. But I think, no, because no, it's just like this is, we've seen this before. Dodd-Frank didn't do very much to curb this. And here we go. This is happening again. It's kind of like uh, it's a new day in America. And there's a new, more uh, you know, more uh, w- systemic mortgage fraud uh, going on again. <laughs> That's happening in this economy. We're girl talking this and remixing it. So instead of <laughs> instead of personal uh, homes, it's now um, it's now the uh, 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 the whole a whole different type of uh, mortgage. Yeah, this, uh, yeah, this fraud. Is, yeah, this is a this is the old town road remix, but with uh, commercial mortgages. Uh, yeah, sick. Uh, so yeah, basically. 
there is evidence. So what what happened with the financial crisis, right? So basically people who couldn't afford houses were sold houses regardless of whether they could or not. And that led to systemic failure because all of these uh, funds and little financial instruments were all interconnected and basically everyone's investment portfolio um, and all these asset managers and banks had insane amount of exposure to all these bad loans, right? That's what happened in, in the yes. residential sector. Uh, this was a whistleblower complaint about 14 major lenders. And there is basically what there's, uh, they're alleging is um, that there are people who are giving out these things called CMBS, okay? These are commercial mortgage-backed securities. CBGBs. CBGBs. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, and these, uh, these are loans that are gathered into pools whose worth can exceed $1 billion and turned into bonds that are sold to investors, okay? So it's mortgage, mortgage loans, right? repackaged, put together, and then put into a big pool, and those are turned into a fund, and those funds are distributed to investors through bonds, right? And no, that sounds like the exact same thing that the financial <laughs> crisis was. No! <laughs> so basically, uh, lenders and securities issuers, this is direct quote from the story, lenders and securities issuers have regularly altered financial data for commercial properties quote, without justification, the complaint asserts, in a way that make in ways that make the properties appear more valuable and borrowers more creditworthy than they actually are. As a result, it alleges borrowers have qualified for commercial loans they normally would not have, with the investors who bought securities birthed from those loans none the wiser. For people, it's just, just a, a again, we, we've talked about the big short very frequently mm -hmm. and for good reason. But for people who don't know, this is literally the big short, but just the stakes are just like so much. High. This is heavyweight stuff. Like, before, mm -hmm. you know, the entire purpose of, of uh, or what like defined the financial crisis is what David said. It's people who banking institutions uh sold financial products to which they shouldn't have been selling them to so it's just like you know uh, you know just say you're like a family of four who only makes like i don't know like fifty thousand dollars a year or something really low and you're given a huge more you're, you're you're given the ability to buy a house which yeah straight up it's going to be very difficult for you to actually yeah some, pay McMan off. some mcmansion in some new newly built residential neighborhood in the in an exurb right yeah some some fort collins colorado bullshit you know like <laughs> that kind of situation so that's what the financial crisis of 2008 was so just consider that but it's not just houses or individual people it's like is it unreasonable to say that this would be like a, 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 an equivalent would be like it's not just a house that you're buying this time it's like say the thing that you can't pay off anymore is like a fucking building in like New York, you know, yes, like, or yes, yes. like a skyscraper. So, you know? I mean, yeah, I mean, one of them was a double tree, uh, hotel in San Diego was one of the ones that this ProPublica article looked at. Um, funny story. That was also yeah. the, uh, double tree hotel in San Diego was the location of the 2019 
ICI uh, conference, which is the probably arguably one of the largest financial sector conferences in the country. And it took place at this particular hotel, which happens to <laughs> have been getting these like falsely inflated CMBSs. Um, and is- <laughs> it's pretty freaking cool. It's pretty freaking excellent. Um, yeah. Another metaphor for this is uh, literally what didn't happen to Jared Kushner. Because, right. Because everybody remembers, remember... Uh, that Jared Kushner is the owner of 666 Fifth Avenue, which is just like a building <laughs> Come in on. Manhattan. Just it's, setting us I up know. for anti-Semitism. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's too easy. He's, he, he owns, he's like him and his uh, family, like they own that building. And they bought it in 2006 for like $2 billion, like at the absolute worst time to buy, <laughs> like, the dumbest people in the in the world just yeah, like maybe. and the only reason they didn't just uh, you know over time lose that building is because his wife's dad became president and then like uh i don't know if it was saudi investment firms but like uh you know like oil money was able to be like oh no 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 we'll give you the money to back this so it's like it's the opposite of that where instead of having your thing just <laughs> instead of whoa, my 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 stepfather's the president now, and I have all this leverage. Is just like no, no, no. The money's actually drying up, and it's from this huge source. You know, he was basically appointed to be like the liaison to the Middle East for the and to China for the sole purpose of getting financing for that building. Right? Like, isn't that <laughs> yeah? The only reason why he had those jobs was just to get to help his building out. Allegedly, yes. Anyway, so this article talks about, the article says, imagine a homeowner having stated in a mortgage application that their 2017 income was $100,000, only to claim during a later refinancing of their mortgage that their 2017 income was $130,000 without acknowledging or explaining the change. That's kind of the big thing, (laughs) you know? It's like, it's just lying about how much money you have so you can get a more favorable loan, right? Yeah. And who are the creditors of those loans? It is not just, um, you know, banks. It it affects us as well because we contribute to the American financial system. We have retirement accounts. We have whatever. So this ends up, these faulty loans, if they're systemic enough, they can affect all of us, right? Um, I'm all about letting, ripping off banks. That's cool. But when it's on a systemic level, it like can kind of fuck up all of us, right? So- the complaint suggests uh, widespread efforts to make some adjustments. Some of the some some of the things that they would do to make adjustments to their vetting process to get a mortgage or to get a loan, you know, second loan or whatever, uh, were erasing expenses from the ledger when a new loan was issued. Most of the changes were small, but a minor increase in profits uh, could lead to approval for a significantly higher mortgage. The results, many properties may have borrowed more than they can afford to pay back even before the pandemic, uh, making a CMBA crash both more likely and more damaging. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Tight. <laughs> Woo. That's great. That's yeah. great. It's like we work, but for the entire uh, economy. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you're laughing uh, because 
it's fun. That's why you're laughing. And it's just it's it, fun. Yeah. It's fun to laugh at and it's fun to be happy about. And I mean, it's it, it's just one of those things where it's like, why does this keep happening? How the living hell are we going to get another financial crisis? Uh, we are like right now we're in a pandemic, but that's it's not quite a financial crisis, right? It, it's a it's very yeah. much like a grassroots economic collapse, or you know, I've heard some people, <laughs> you know, but it, that's different than the the entire financial system over leveraging and defaulting on its loans or whatever, right? It, it's it's just a different structure of poverty, right? Um, or a different mm -hmm. structure of economic mm -hmm. decline. Like the you can kind of make an argument that our current economy is kind of like in a coma or like it's like cryogenically frozen until the pandemic recovers. And then as soon as there's like a vaccine, yes. and everyone has like full investor confidence and full consumer confidence. Then like in theory, we could just kind of go back to, to how things were going again. Um, but if there is yeah. another, and now it, it, it gets even crazier, right? Because um, you have these CMBS, these sort of uh, fraud, systemic fraud that's taking place with these CMBS uh, investment vehicles. But now there are things like, uh, you know, people are not paying rent. People are defaulting on their mortgages. And so yeah. it just makes the likelihood of things like hotels, which are having like abysmal revenue for per It's not quarter, good. They're not really, doing really good. Bad. So you, if you have commercial properties such as, the DoubleTree Hotel in San Diego basically have zero customers for the entire second quarter, then their likelihood of defaulting on those loans that they already could not afford to pay back in the first place are even more astronomical. So it's like, I feel like with the first crisis in 2008, it was just, everyone was just so shocked. But now I feel like we're just like watching it happen. Like we're tied to a train track in a, 1940s cartoon and we just see the train yeah. slowly coming and we're just like this is just going to happen we there's it's inevitable that there's going to be a financial crisis resulting from the the coronavirus pandemic economic collapse yeah the 2008 crisis was a fast moving train we were just like wait what whoa and then it just <laughs> but you're right this is more just sort of like a like a chug 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 sub no somebody stop it <laughs> no, someone stop it! <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. was the, were those? It's like that. Were those spl <laughs> were those splattering noises of human bodies? Is that you were? Was that were those the second noises you were doing? The I was no. I, I was trying to do like a sort of cow catcher hitting other metal. Like yeah. Uh, <laughs> if it was people, if it was people being crushed, it would have been like. Danny the sound guy here, guy. Uh, Dude, I'll, <laughs> I'm not even adding any uh, sound effects to that. It's it's already it's already beautiful on perfection, its own. Perfection, the perfection. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Cool. I think um, it's not good. It's not good what's happening right now. I don't <laughs> think people have really picked up on it yet, and I think some of these financial publications and. Whistleblower things, they're they're kind of catching on a little bit, but uh, it would not be weird if uh, maybe six months to a year uh, down the line, maybe maybe sooner, that I, something um, rocks the um, commercial real estate. 
I could see something where everyone's like, oh, you know, like things are bad now, but like we're projecting future investor confidence because we're going to recover from this and because Trump spends his all day every day just lying about the nature of the crisis and how bad things are systemically. Mm -hmm. And so people, the economy hasn't fully realized how bad things are going to be and will continue to be. I feel like once we get the second wave of coronavirus outbreak, um, which as far as I can tell seems very, very likely, right? Like I, I can't, yes. <laughs> I, 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 it's really hard to overstate how likely it will be that we will have a second outbreak and it very likely could be worse than the first one. Um, yeah. which is now kind of, we're all kind of seeing it plateau a little bit, this first one. Um, but once the second one hits, I think that's when people are going to really start getting scared shitless because it's just like, we just have no like everyone's like, oh, oh, there's gonna be like an actual moment of like investor panic, and investor panic is kind of what causes yeah. uh, these crises. Yeah, I, you know, I, I swear, I think people are like, how could you possibly live in New York during all this? I'm like, I do, I want to be, just put put me on the front lines of it. I mean, like, we're we're all we're already seeing like how, uh, I mean, news reports are always it's like there's been a big flare up in Tennessee, and it's like ah, oh, and there's it's some crazy shit is happening in Texas, and and then in New York they're like, oh, aren't you worried? And it's just like, well, obviously yes, but. We were we're just you. We've already been in the boy the the melting pot for mm -hmm. since, since fucking mid March. Yeah, man. So yeah, you know. Uh, I mean, half of me is almost just sort of like. I mean, maybe you felt this the same way too. It's like it's almost like, uh, part of your brain it just just wants to be like, man, maybe uh maybe for, maybe everybody already got it in New York and we're just done. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's kind of the best case scenario, you know. Right? I mean there's no way of no I I don't I mean I I really have no idea. I mean I could, I guess I could go get tested and find out. Now 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 you're after after 2 months you're finally able to get a test if you don't have symptoms. I think. No, no, no. no. I'm sorry. You still cannot get a test if you don't have symptoms. But now really it's that everyone who has a symptom can get tested. Whereas when it first broke out, it was they mm. only had testing available for people who were either an essential worker or, you know, immunodeficient. Um, but now it's anyone who has symptoms can, can get a test. But I don't have symptoms, so I can't get a test, I'm pretty sure. You want to know the funniest? Just, it's a, such a beautiful metaphor. The, one of the testing locations in Brooklyn specifically, it's over near Empire Boulevard and like Bedford. So kind of oh, like yeah. the left. The, the Leffert's Garden area. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I shit you not, that testing center is in the parking lot of a 1960s era Sears. Just like what? this, the, like, dude, the sign is beautiful. It's like total like Art Deco era. And it's just sort of like, you're looking at the husk of like this business that, that used to be just sort of like a, a, a stalwart. You know, and like yeah, totally American capitalism, and now it's just the area in which they test people <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> for, for for the pandemic uh, virus. So yeah, Jesus. I mean, I'm I've been try I've been waiting to really get like a quality thing, a quality like image or tweet or news headline where it's like, oh, this actually could have been written in a dystopian movie. Or something like that, and mm -hmm. you kind of wait for it, and you're like, "Oh, no, that's still not quite there." Like I was walking around Williamsburg, and I saw like 
all these like bespoke clothing stores, you know, boutique clothing stores, and they were all shuttered, but they all had like mm -hmm. sexy people, sexy mannequins with masks on. And it's like, oh, that's almost <laughs> that, that's like almost there. But I feel like for like a really good dystopian movie, there'd be that's close. Yeah, there'd be there'd, there'd be like blood or like broken glass or something like that on it. And I'm just waiting for to see that actual image where you see some real carnage outside of like some, you know, you know, uh, I don't know, r ruin porn shit like that where you're, I don't, maybe the Sears one is it is, is all I'm trying to say. Maybe, maybe your Sears examples is, is the, is the image I've been looking for all along, Danny. Dude, honestly, next nice day, I'm really tempted to go out there and see if I can get a good pick of it. Cause it is, I'm, it, it's a beautiful sign. It's a beautiful sign. <laughs> and just, just to get the sign in the corner. And then you just see the obvious like testing and they blocked off the road too. You can't even get through that part. So like you could ride on the sidewalk Whoa. and be like, what the fuck is going on here? And you're like, Oh, they, they don't even let you drive on this road. It's Holy just, it does, you can't, it's just the road that like their official vehicles can get through onto. Um, wow. Yeah, man. Fuck, bro. Yeah. Good, sh good shit. Good uh, shit. Good shit. Uh, well, that's, yeah. that's, that's all that, uh, I, that I really have on, on this story. It's, uh, tragic and scary and completely predictable. It's very, very predictable. Uh, all right. Well, coming up now, uh, we had, uh, a really great uh, sit-down interview convo with Kate Aronoff. She's a staff writer at the New Republic uh, to talk about her previous book, A Planet to Win, Why We Need a Green New Deal, co-authored with a few other nice folks. And so I guess without further ado, uh, we're gonna let's take it over to uh, our interview with Kate. Here we go. <laughs> I'm here. We're hanging out. Oh, what a time it is to be alive right now. Uh, uh, David, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, today, I'm very excited. We have uh, get a very wonderful guest of ours. She is a staff writer at the New Republic. Uh, we, are, we are joined by Kate Aronoff. Yes. Um, she has, Welcome, Kate. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Yes, of course, um, absolutely. She has a book that she has co-authored with uh, some folks called A Planet to Win, Why We Need a Green New Deal. Um, I have a little hard copy here that I'm, sh that I'm, that I'm showing off right now. Um, Thank you. Oh, oh, you're <laughs> David's got the David's got the first edition. You know it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, it was, it was really uh, a great read. It was uh interesting and fun what i really liked about it is that you re you guys really tried to frame it in very concrete terms or tangible terms i guess as to how it affects people's lives like there are a lot of references of of being like hey uh public parks are cool because you could smoke weed with your friends in them as well as they're good for the <laughs> environment and i thought that was just a, a really nice touch especially for like you know kind of environmental or left-wing writing to just kind of have it be tangible like that yeah, I mean, I think there's a, just a lot of bad uh, imaginaries, we might call it, about about what, a, you know, either like a super dystopian future will look like. I mean, you know, we've all seen Mad Max or Watch the Day After Tomorrow or something, and we have enough kind of apocalypse scenarios in our, in our roster. Um, or, you know, there's this kind of like hyper tech utopian, like Elon Musk fantasy land of Tesla's driving around like Google smart streets or something. Um, so we like, we're eager to 
map out something kind of in the middle between those two things. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. That's that's very actually that's funny you should mention Elon Musk. I I was cuz you know David and I have just been doing some of our own our own independent research into uh various yeah you know i'll call it independent i'll call it research what i'm doing not a glorified <laughs> book report uh, on, on my own stupid stuff but uh you know we've been looking into this stuff and when i was thinking of questions just to to like ask you and in, in general about you know the environmental future uh you one of the things that popped into my head is like elon musk and i think you know from a leftist perspective uh it's it's uh, uh, my my first instinct is to be like this guy is um, that one that one guy from the 1920s who put um, uh, tissue boxes on his feet and was like a, a crazy germaphobe and went crazy. Uh, the guy with the the movie The Aviator was based off of. Howard Hughes. Oh. Uh, Howard Hughes, yeah, exactly. Oh, How is just, she's just an eccentric uh, and uh, a billionaire, obviously, and uh, just kind of crazy. And I still most of me. Uh, heartily believes in that. I think the I think most of the stuff he does is kind of like that. I just think he's I think he's just like Gen X Trump. Yeah, he's he's kind of he's kind of a version of that. But I guess my question is is just sort of like, do you think he like adds anything to like the conversation of like, I guess renewables and just sort of getting people into like you know like a more environmental headspace and to begin with? Because I, I think for he's coming from it, it, it is sort of like a bad faith argument. Like it's very much just sort of like. Oh yeah, my cars that I produce and make and uh, definitely go the profit goes through me. It's they're gonna save the world. Um, but do you think it helps to have to have like him as sort of this weird catalyst for just like folks who aren't uh, uh, consumed by a, a doom world? You know? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I I think the question of whether like Elon Musk was some negative or positive for the world is an interesting one yeah yeah basically what he's yeah. trying to ask is did elon musk orchestrate the coup of evo morales to get access <laughs> to the Libyan <laughs> yes yes <laughs> um you know there's there's not good good evidence to suggest um that happened uh, unfortunately you know unfortunately um but no i mean I I elon musk is a is a complicated figure who i um have a a kind of unique amount of hatred for. Um, I <laughs> yes, I, yes. I, I think, you know, on the one hand, I'll give like the proviso, which is that I think Elon Musk has made things or, you know, has invented things, let's call it. Um, Emphasis yeah. on, I think, yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. Uh, that, you know, are, are not bad. Like the Powerwall battery, I think that's important technology. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, mainstreaming, Electric cars, in some way, is 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 probably good. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, at the same time, he did a lot of that work with funding from the Department of Energy, right? He, mm -hmm. you know, took federal money yeah. to do that. Um, mm -hmm. And the whole narrative that Elon Musk sort of constructs about himself is that he is this sort of singular genius. Um, his like Twitter avi, as of um, I don't know, maybe like five or six years ago, was uh, the cover of Atlas Shrugged. Um, by Ayn Rand. <laughs> so he's like that's not a, a evolved yes. thinker. Like I think you know, like a redditor. Do they on. have any other book? You know, is there any other? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's like, <laughs> like for a lot of like you know hashtag resistance people, it's like there's Harry Potter, and for the right, it's it's Atlas Shrugged. Like there's got to be something. There's got to be other books out there. Anyways, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Continue. No, I don't know. <laughs> I I mean, yeah, I don't think there are like other canonical text maybe <laughs> for that for that set i mean yeah i mean not like i don't know elon musk like 
maybe he read Atlas Shrugged and like watches a lot of Rick and Morty or something, uh, um, which I think is sort of like the the poles of his belief system, probably uh, <laughs> are those two things. Um, I I think it's so okay. So he you know created things which let's just say are good. Let's just right. say you know electric <laughs> yeah. cars and battery storage are are good things to have in the world. Um, and then what else you know is he doing? I think having Elon Musk be the kind of face of renewable energy is bad for a whole host of reasons. Um, in part because we know that so many of these things come from publicly funded research, right? And there's like no attempt either to give credit to the public sector, which has you know done a lot of foundational work on this stuff, or you know to give credit to workers who actually build it. Um, and yeah. Musk, you know, is uh, a walking labor violation. Like, I mean, has like gotten himself <laughs> yes. into so much trouble um, based on <laughs> tweets um, yeah. with, you know, the NLRB um, and then sort of unrelatedly with the um, Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, he is, I think, the worst, you know, one of the worst faces you can imagine um, for um, a, a sort of green energy. Uh, I was, I thought, I'm sorry, I thought you were going to end the sentence right there, just with, he, <laughs> he is one of the worst faces you can imagine. Sure, uh, that too. Yeah. <laughs> he, he does have like a pudding yogurt face for sure. Like he definitely looks like a, hu- a human Photoshop where they like smudged him like in weird, weird ways, you know. Poorly. Yeah, this is yeah. really petty, but um, there is a photo of Elon Musk <laughs> and Peter Thiel um, from PayPal in which yes. Elon Musk's hairline is like half the way back. Which yeah, it's 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 all the way. It's it's bad. Yeah, I was dude. That's so funny. I was thinking about that. I was riding my bike the other day, and I was like, eh, there's that picture of Elon Musk, and he has like a very receding hairline, and it's like, it's fine. It's like fine if you're bald. Right like whatever mm-hmm. who that that's fine you know but uh the way I, I guess maybe it's just the way these people kind of construct their um personas it gets it's like no 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 there's a history of like all this other stuff in the back and like it would be kind of funny if elon musk had like a really really bad toupee you know like <laughs> he was like a techno you know libertarian <laughs> genius but he his like toupee was like about as like technologically advanced as like a hasidic woman's toupee or uh yeah 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 sorry, <laughs> this is why i would like peter thiel got right to the source and is trying to extract blood from the young um, <laughs> so that he can have yeah. a full head of hair forever i always forget about that it's so scary jesus yeah there's always a, there's always something to be said about the guys who love um energy efficiency who are obsessed with rockets and rocketry because like that's cool love a rocket also like one of the most energy intensive unit it's like just to they're like we're gonna go to space it's like do you know how much fucking energy it takes to <laughs> get to physically get into space you're all about conserve it's conserve i just think i just think it's so funny like jeff bezos um because he's got blue no he has blue origins he has yeah. blue origins i think yeah. and then uh yeah, uh, Elon Musk has SpaceX. The, all those freaks are always, uh, they're all obsessed with uh, rockets. And they're not doing any of that uh, telemetry or whatever it is to actually get something into space. What? They just take credit for it. What did you just say? What was that word? Telemetry? Uh, te- I think it's telemetry. I think that's I, I think that's no the m- the mathematics of getting, like, se- sending something up. It's definitely out of my something. range. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> Trust me, I could be making I could be making up that word, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure, but who knows? Uh, so uh, this is a, a white collar crime podcast. 
we love we are here for the grift and we that's not our love slogan it. yet we're working on our slogan and but you know you talk about in your book uh, there are several ways of approaching how we can kind of impose criminal or civil actions against you know fossil fuel polluters and individual executives can you just kind of go over like uh there are maybe five or six that you kind of mentioned in different parts of the book could you go over all the different crimes <laughs> specifically that <laughs> fossil fuel pol- polluters could be found guilty of in, a, in in one court or another oh sure um I'm trying to remember all, all five, um, truly. <laughs> I can think of a couple. Um, sure, yeah. Yeah, so so uh, what I uh, talk with my co-authors about in the book um, is, you know, a couple of the sort of, let's, you know, call them criminal liabilities, I guess, um, mm-hmm. that various parts of the fossil fuel industry um, have sort of uh, brought into the world are responsible for. Um, so one is, is actually very concrete and has, you know, already been sort of proven in a court of law, which is that PG&E, which is the largest um, uh, investor and utility in the state of California, uh, was mm-hmm. found, pled guilty to 86 counts of manslaughter um, for its role in the campfires. In, wow. Yes. Um, Yes, in California, right. uh, because California has a sort of wonky law on the books um, in which uh, utilities, if their uh, equipment was involved in, you know, say, sparking, uh, sparking a fire as it was in, in 2018, um, that the liability for that falls onto um, onto the company. And in that case, uh, that fire had killed 85 people, I think. Wow. Um, yeah. And so they are legally responsible for those for those deaths um, through a flea market. And that was right? and, and that and that was a, that was a manslaughter charge, not or was, do you know if that was like a like a criminal charge or was that a civil you know wrongful death kind of a thing? That I believe it was involuntary manslaughter. Um, wow. That's if I'm remembering. Yeah. There's there's not a there's not a there's not a twisted uh, electrician just like turn up the heat like it's not murder murder. It's just a uh, a whoopsie, as we call it in the books, you know. <laughs> Although yeah. it that um, does this is a, a, a tangent, but one of my favorite stories about kind of the history of electricity is that um, when they were sort of at the beginning of, of electricity being a thing, um, deciding mm-hmm. between uh, alternating and direct currents, which the details yeah. of which don't really matter, um, mm-hmm. but uh, Thomas Edison had one of them. Uh, and then this company called Westinghouse, which still exists in some form, had another. Um, and Thomas Edison wanted um, uh, wanted the current that Westinghouse had um, to be used in executions in New York State, um, and sort of petitioned oh, right. really yeah, hard yeah. Um, to get the Westinghouse current to electrocute uh, people who have been charged with crimes. And uh, it worked. And so the, the whole point was so that Edison could say, do you want the elect- the executioner's current flowing through your home? Whoa. Yeah, that guy, <laughs> that guy was that guy was a, a fucker. He was great and uh, how evil he was. Anything for like some competitive marketing branding like it's that. So is... good. It's so yeah. good. It's just it's the so turn- perfect. I love electricity. It's just like such. A yeah. Fun. 
Dude, the turn of, the turn of the twentieth century that was a that was a mwah time for just uh, grifts and and, uh, and white collar crimes. Oh my god! So, yeah. Um, so okay, so we have uh, actual involuntary manslaughter, right? That's that's yes. a pr- that's a very tangible one. Actual deaths linked to uh, corporate malfeasance, um, and then the other sort of broader, you know, more aspirational uh, crime mm-hmm. that I talk about is um, crimes against humanity, um, which mm. I. Uh, which we argue in the book um, should be brought against uh, fossil fuel companies for knowingly a misleading the public about the existence of climate change and continuing to um, cause it, which they know would lead to emissions, which would lead to more deaths. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, to to just continuing to, you know, do things which they know and their research has shown for 30 or 40 years um, will kill people. Right. And so Mm -hmm. they have, you know, knowledge that they, their actions have furthered this, um, and we sort of lay out the why, you know, that qualifies them um, to be tried for crimes against humanity um, in The Hague or, you know, any number of other courts and kind of walk through some of the logistics of that, which is, you know, complicated and thorny. But um, the, the Hague, is that like traffic court or is that like <laughs> where, where, what? what look? Take a number. Take a number. <laughs> the uh, finally, you know, uh, the International Criminal Court is based gotcha. on The Hague. Dan, okay. Dan yeah. Mark the hog uh yeah i mean the real crime against humanity is just sitting at the dmv am i right folks i mean god that is david you gotta <laughs> leave man <laughs> uh okay so there was a couple others that i saw um from the book uh like the, there's this alien torts claims act there was just a brief mention of that do you remember that and what that entails yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I it had been a while since I flipped through our own back. Thank you for a planet um, to win. Why we need a green new deal by Ken Aronoff? No, I'm in. My excuse is that I am in the uh, depths of writing another book. So, um, thank oh, you for whoa. Reminding we got a writer over here. <laughs> um, but yeah, alien alien torts and claims. So um, the sort of way in which we bring that up um, is that. Uh, a lot of fossil fuel extraction happens sort of under the auspices of international or multinational corporations um, and people who, you know, are subject to those corporations' activities um, have basically no legal recourse uh, against against those companies. And so there have been a couple of cases, I think the most, um, uh, probably the most prominent ones from Nigeria where Shell Oil has, a big, has had a big presence for a long time. Mm. Um, is uh, to you know actually create a mechanism to bring to bring those um, to bring claims from the places where those companies are operating um, and and create a mechanism for them to be held accountable and so um, kind of what we talk a little bit about um, uh, which uh, uh, historian Eric Loomis um, has has also written about and some other folks like Todd Tucker um, who's at the Roosevelt Institute have kind of um, done you know more of this this thinking. Um, mm-hmm. is kind of what it would look like for uh, U.S.-based corporations to be held accountable um, in U.S. courts for crimes committed abroad. Okay, okay, I, I see what you're saying. You So it sounded like for a second, well, maybe it's a little bit of both, where it's like maybe in a, a, an eventual goal is some sort of like global sort of court uh, officiating system in which you can... Um, try people but if before that you you just got to get to the point where it's like no 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 we can we can clearly see you guys who are based in the united states are doing some shitty stuff and 
like Thailand or New Zealand or like any place, but it doesn't matter. Like we, we like that's a good place to start is just getting like those places, um, those companies that are at least based in one place but are operating in another place. Just just finding some sort of accountability measures there. And just getting yeah, them to yeah. show up in court. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and and I think, you know, where I know uh, where we kind of situate that argument um, is in the fact that there's all kinds of accountability mechanisms for multinational corporations, right? So um, mm -hmm. bodies like the World Trade Organization um, can, you know, bring or historically have been able to bring suits um, against, you know, countries who they think are violating their, um, their right to profit. And so, you know, if... Uh, state wow. passes uh, a law that says you have to employ local workers that can, you know, theoretically be brought um, under, uh, a, before the appellate court um, of the WTO, which is, you know, currently in flux um, right now. Uh, but that, wow. you know, there are very strong enforcement mechanisms for protecting profits and there are not very strong enforcement mechanisms for protecting the environment um, or, you know, yeah. things like human rights. So that is kind of the, the, the broader frame of, of, of the kind of torts piece. Wow. It reminds me of the, um, that, huh. that Stephen Donziger, who's the attorney representing the indigenous folks in uh, Ecuador. Yeah, yeah. Is he, was he doing Alien Torts Claims Act uh, in the U.S.? Because I know he was, part of his litigation was in Ecuador, and then part of his litigation was in the U.S. I, I, I'm not I'm not sure if he was actually using that. Yeah, law. I'm not sure. My um, former colleague at the Intercept, um, Sharon Lerner, wrote um, a phenomenal piece about, about um, Donzinger. Yeah, and I would suggest anyone go go read that. Um, I am definitely yeah. not the expert on his case, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean Chevron, you know, has made his life a living hell um, for you know the, for trying to hold them accountable for a modest number of crimes. Oh wait, that's that guy who's trapped in his uh, his goddamn apartment in the Upper West Side, right? <laughs> yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. guy. Yeah, it's that's uh, absolutely fucked. Uh, uh, but yeah, uh, people, yeah, check that out if uh, anybody listening who doesn't doesn't know that uh, his name Steve Donziger. Yeah, yes. Steve, yeah, check that out. Yeah, so, it's wild. So one of the, I mean, obviously the the um, a, a planet to win is a much more positive vision. It's not just about all the bad things that they did. Um, but about the future that we can build and the future that you guys want, uh, seek to build in this is a green new deal, uh, which from what I understand is just a, a new deal with uh, money. Is that what you mean by green? Or, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think, uh, yeah, can you, I mean, I don't really, I don't know. Do we really need to explain what the green new deal is? Let our readers know what the green kind of a little bit listeners. What did I say? <laughs> you said readers, but I hope people are reading podcasts, dude. <laughs> um, so, okay, quickly uh, going over the Green New Deal. It is the New Deal, but applied to uh, the environmental movement, especially tackling climate change specifically, but can also um, tackle a whole range of intersectional and related issues. One of those uh, ways that it does that is um, a few interesting uh, and kind of like novel economic ideas that I kind of wanted to talk about here. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about modern monetary theory and what it is and why can't I just, do, so like does money grow on trees? 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if, if you are... I need the seed. <laughs> Let me plant the seed for this money tree. Uh. If, if you are lucky enough to live in the United States, um, that is that is more true uh, than not. Uh, yeah. So modern monetary theory, um, there is a lot to it, um, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm, I'm not the sort of um, preeminent expert on on the subject, certainly. Um, but the sort of way that I think it's it's really um, important in this moment and for talking about the climate crisis is it, it really sort of deconstructs this myth, um, a couple of myths about, about how the economy works. So um, one, that you know the size of the federal deficit is something to be worried about, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I think modern monetary theory gets misinterpreted um, in saying that that doesn't matter. Um, and, and really what uh, economists in that tradition argue is that the sort of nature of what we're spending money on matters a lot. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, if money is spent, uh, for instance, you know, we are heading into what could be a depression. If money is spent getting people back to work, that's money well spent. And if it um, helps to, you know, fuel activity in the real economy, if it helps get people back to work, um, mm-hmm. you know, fuel the kinds of consumption that we want to be fueling. Um, mm-hmm. That is money well spent, and that's not a problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, you know, a little bit unique in some in some ways, um, and easier in the U.S. because we uh, uh, debt is, you know, denominated in our own currency, and so um, right. there's not we're not going to go bankrupt. The U.S. will not go bankrupt, and I think so. The, what you're you saying know, is that we are both the creditor and the debtor at the same time. <laughs> if we're the, like the federal government is both creditor and debtor, so we would just be. We just owe ourselves. Yeah. I mean, the United States dollar is a global reserve currency. There are mm-hmm. other problems yes. with that being, you know, the state of things. Um, but mm-hmm. it does meaningfully uh, mean that the U.S. government is not going to go bankrupt anytime soon. We're not, you know, as people have warned, uh, going to be like Greece and, you know, risk default or anything like that. That is, mm-hmm. you know, very far away from happening. Um, mm-hmm. And I think what, what modern monetary theory also does importantly is to break down this myth that you know every um uh, that the government has to operate like every you know family so um it was Mm -hmm. i mean this is a myth that's that's been repeated um by both parties of course started by the right but uh you can find in obama's 2010 state of the union address and he kind of pivots back to austerity um after a kind of brief stimulus (laughs) Um, (laughs) sorry (laughs) That's the right <laughs> reaction. Um, but he repeats some version yeah. of this myth. And, and what um, MMT says is, you know, that's bullshit, right? Uh, is that, mm-hmm. you know, we don't, uh, the, the every, you know, family sitting around trying to trying to pay its bills and balance its budget does not have access to the Federal Reserve, um, mm-hmm. you know, for, for better and for worse. Uh, but that, you know, the situation of, of individuals and households is just fundamentally very different than the situation of the federal government and there is mm-hmm. money no shortage of money um to you know to spend on on, on what we need to spend it on that's the very yeah. quick notes version and i'm you know probably gonna miss uh, a, a whole cool. lot in that but i think that's so the when i first yeah that's like the uh that's like a version of uh hey man we got to make an omelet so let's some cr- let's crack some goddamn eggs you know and and make some some worker omelets in a good way not in a not in a punitive way in a good way i mean obviously like when you talk to um when you when you are like you do when you talk to uh you know my dad and you say dad why doesn't money grow on trees <laughs> i'm sure all three of you all, both sorry both of you have spoken to my father and uh he said well, that's because inflation 
um, would prevent, you know, is an issue uh, in why we can't just have unlimited money because then its value goes down. And so is it true that that modern monetary theory uh, just has, uh, what does it recognize inflation? Is it trying to handle it or does it recognize it as something that exists, but the debt doesn't? Yeah, I mean, MMT certainly recognizes inflation as a um, as a limit on you know on, yeah. on what kind of spending can happen. So if you do start to see inflation, um, then that is a feedback, right? Um, to right. Uh, to you know target inflation in, in different ways, right? We know you know it's not as if uh, inflation happens all at once. It can happen in different sectors of the economy. Mm-hmm. You can target inflation in different parts of the economy, for instance, in finance, right? And that's very mm-hmm. different than um, fighting it in, in you know, uh, across across every, every sector of the economy. Um, and the other thing is that, you know, we just haven't seen inflation, right? Um, the, mm-hmm. the, the Fed has not, you know, been able to meet inflation targets for a very long time. And that's just, you know, not the the problem with the, with the economy right now. I mean, it wasn't right. the problem yeah. in December of 2019, and it's, you know, definitely not the problem now. If anything, inflation, you know, kind of, we should be looking for more inflation. Um, mm. If anything, it has a sort of redistributive effect on the economy if you push inflation um, up. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not, a, the, the relationship between spending and inflation just has not sort of worn out for a very long time. Um, and mm-hmm. so... If it starts to happen, uh, sure, you know, maybe there are policy mechanisms that can be used to uh, to allay that, but but we're very far from from that happening or that being a concern. I uh, I have a I have a question in regards to this. It, this is sort of like you know, every time I see sort of a weird like meme, my my uh, my grandmother might send me in some sort of chain email. They'll be like, "Oh my gosh, could you?" It's like, why should we be? A, uh, spending all this money look at the country of zimbabwe and then it shows like a zimbabwean note that has like you know tw- w- a trillion it's a trillion dollars or whatever is there is there like a quick uh relatively non-complicated way of just being like this is this is not a re this is not the same situation because of this like you just i i don't i'm tr- I'm, I'm asking for a difficult thing to to quickly and succinctly like explain that but i, I think it is thanksgiving helpful. thanksgiving dinner table talking points yes because i think i think you know sometimes i i mean i certainly david david's very smart with these things he has a lot more knowledge on this than me but like you know uh a lot of times you just need those those palatable answers to tell people why uh this is this is not a concern and for this reason yeah um well i, w- I would say two things i think one of which is probably uh, a better argument to make your grandmother um yes. than the other so the first one which is probably not you know maybe grandma um grandma friendly <laughs> is that <you> know, <laughs> the situation in zimbabwe requires understanding four to five hundred years of colonial history uh and, yes. Uh, yes very yes. unique political economy conditions uh in the continent of africa um which you mm. know is 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 uh, has been subject to very different historical forces than the United States government. My, um, my grandma is a global South Marxist, so <laughs> she, she was <laughs> so right on, you know, <laughs> it's a great argument for, for David's uh, grandma. Yeah. Um, the other one, which, you know, is, 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 is uh, more palatable to maybe all to, to a wider swath of grandmas, let's say um, in, in the U S at least um, 
is that we don't ask the question of can we spend money um, when we spend it on different things, right? So if there's a country in, uh, you know, somewhere in the world that we don't like their policies, um, there's, there's never sort of a debate about how are we going to pay to invade that country um, or bomb that yeah. country or, you know, buy a new fleet of fighter jets or, or something mm -hmm. like that. So that question just never gets asked, right? Um, when mm -hmm. we uh, pass $2 trillion worth of tax cuts, we don't ask, you know, where's the other, how are we going to supplement that income um, that, that's being mm -hmm. lost and, and sort of hoarded away by corporations? Um, so mm -hmm. the question of how do we pay for it really only gets asked when it's about how to make people's lives better. Um, and, you know, maybe we should have a different metric for what's important kind of where that where that gets asked. Yeah, that that's that's very that I think the deep irony, especially when it comes to like the tech sector and stuff, there's always the question of like we need to innovate and like we need to disrupt stuff. And it's like, man, if there is like one industry that like maybe it would look different if it were disrupted, it's it's like probably defense contracting. It's like there's always <laughs> all these stories where they're just like we can't make a a certain type of jet that doesn't explode. Sometimes it's like. You can't even imagine what we'd be doing with fighter jets if they just were functional. <laughs> were functional. It's like if you're gonna be an imperial force, at least be a good one, you know. Yeah. Uh, that that's good. That's very good. Uh, thank you for clarifying that because I cert I certainly needed it. And yeah, I and you're right too. It's just like, um, yeah, the the defense discretionary budget is just like, I don't know. It, it it's it's just a it's just a real big number. Okay. So it's 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 really easy to hack away. This kind of leads into my next question. If that's cool, if you guys are okay with segues, I personally like them. But like, uh, <laughs> there's this idea. Yes, I, I feel like this whole thing about why is it? Why do we need to worry about how we spend for things that help people rather than harm people? Because it's like a core belief system that the economy is a meritocracy, and as soon as we betray that with some sort of uh social democracy right then all of a sudden the the ideology is proven to be hollow or untrue or that, that, that it's been untrue all along right and so maybe there's something about it that's just like no no no, no. we th this is not a thing that we do because our beliefs are that humans that that individuals do things not governments and etc 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 um so the segue question is leading into the next part of a frequently talked about subject in the Green New Deal, which is the universal jobs guarantee. And I was wondering if you could talk about that yes. and why the universal jobs guarantee is so important to the Green New Deal. Um, well, I think I just based on, you know, the, mo the moment we're in, I'll say that I think the federal jobs guarantee um, is important, not just for the Green New Deal, but to keeping a basically functional economy uh, in, in, in the next year and change probably. Um, right. So the basic idea of a federal job guarantee is that the United States government becomes the employer of last resort. So mm -hmm. um, there have been periods in history, kind of most notably the New Deal, um, when the U.S. has done what's called direct hiring, so hiring outside a sort of core of civic, uh, of, of civil servants, um, the sort of, you know, normal federal workforce, let's call it, um, and put people to work doing things like uh, public works programs, um, but also in the case of the New Deal, things like the Federal Theater Project, you know, writing plays, and the Federal Writers Project, you know, played, paid people to write travel guides and things like that. Um, so a whole Ooh. range of work that goes from, uh, you know, F building bridges and repairing roads. Podcasting program. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, what were you saying? 
Uh, you, you know, we can pay pay, pay people to post. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever we want. Um, but but yeah, so so a federal job guarantee does a couple of things. I mean, relevant to um, the state of the economy right now, um, it provides a, a wage floor, right? And so. Right. Um, if you are hiring people at sort of standardized wages, which are relatively high, right, um, based on, you know, what you can earn at a Walmart or a McDonald's, um, that incentivizes people um, away from work in, in, you know, what are usually in the case of retail or fast food, um, which are often some of the only jobs available um, mm-hmm. for people in, in more rural communities um, and, and elsewhere, uh, it, it provides an alternative to that, which is not bound up in these carbon intensive supply chains, um, which, you know, we know that Walmart and, and McDonald's are not good for the planet. Right. And so, um, allows us to do, uh, the sort of enormous amount of work that needs to be done in order to transition, um, off of fossil fuels. And so I think when we think about green jobs, um, and we, you know, lay this out in the book, I think we tend to think about, uh, you know, putting solar panels on people's roofs, um, erecting wind turbines, and, and all of that, you know, I think has a huge place in the Green New Deal. It's obviously mm-hmm. a huge part of the picture. Um, mm-hmm. But there's also this other piece of what green work looks like, which is, um, A, getting people out of, um, you know, I think in a sort of broad sense, what, what David Graeber has referred to as bullshit jobs, um, and, <laughs> and which, you know, are hardly carbon neutral, right? Um, providing sort of meaningful, necessary work, um, things like uh, restoring wetlands, uh, you know, alleviating the urban heat island effect uh, with uh, by creating kind of green spaces and cities that make them, you know, more pleasant mm-hmm. as well. Um, and doing all this work that just needs to get done um, and that the private sector will not do, right? And so I think that's another important piece, which is that there's all this work um, which just isn't profitable to do, right? And so um, mm-hmm. you would be hard-pressed to explain the profit-making potential of, uh, you know, let's say like an urban garden, right, which is one very small example. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not, you know, the private sector is not necessarily attracted to that kind of work because it doesn't create, uh, create, you know, dividends for shareholders in the same way um, that, uh, you know, in an oil patch might, right? And so uh, what a federal job guarantee allows us to do is set a different set of priorities as to what, you know, we need to get done, um, which, you know, can fall in many cases outside of the realm of what's considered traditionally profitable. Yeah, I it's uh, I, I, I think it's definitely worth emphasizing to people. It's like, look, you have you have to know the private sector isn't they just don't want it. They don't want to do this. <laughs> it's like they've, they've shown <laughs> there's not a there's not a stereotype of like a 1930s like top hatted guy like i think we're gonna make an arugula god and and it's gonna be great for everybody <laughs> like it's just not it's just like not a thing that exists it may, may be helpful to like uh emphasize it in that way also man i feel like that would just take a, a real burden off of people's shoulders after a while because i guess totally. the only closest things to like um only closest thing to like a real job guarantee which isn't even a guarantee it's like again like um, a, some sort of military yeah, work exactly. you know wh- i mean and, yeah and which is uh, yeah <laughs> i mean i i uh, in my high school which uh had a you know pretty high percentage of folks below the below the poverty line um the army just recruited aggressively and and the army yeah. you know the military accru- 
recruits very aggressively uh, in, in low-income areas because, you know, it's, it's the closest thing we have to a federal job guarantee. If you want to go to college, if you want a stable yeah. income, if you want health care, um, the military is really, you know, the place that more people can turn than anywhere else um, to get those things. And so um, a Green New Deal, in, in, you know, provides an alternative to that as well to say, you know, you don't need to join the military to fight terrible wars uh, in order to have your basic human needs met. Yeah, there is. Oh, I used to work at a college bookstore. And, you know, I think something that always would get advertised is like, oh, the military will help pay for your education. And I worked at this bookstore and, you know, they we I I sold like computer stuff in the upstairs area. Nice. And yeah, I know it was very cool and chill. And the people who were always the most uh, visibly like upset for one reason or another were the vet students through no fault of their own it was just always a situation where they're like i talked to you guys three weeks ago about getting me a printer ink that the government is paying for and i'm just sort of like i'm sorry man they haven't reached out to us because they don't care they, they don't care about you they they really don't uh so it and then yeah it's just such a it's just such a roll that dies with that you know totally uh, i mean it's not any it's not any big uh uh uh-huh thing of like of course of course that's the case so so i wanted to ask um my next question was about the letter we've we've spoken about this a fair amount uh we uh we talk about like during the day i write for a financial trade publication and that is just kind of like behind a paywall that no one reads so i get to talk about my real feelings here and basically, the in, <laughs> in January, there was uh, a letter that was written by the CEO of BlackRock, the largest private asset manager in the world, $8.6 trillion assets under, mm-hmm. under management. He wrote a letter in January. He has very influential letter writing capabilities, apparently. And he said that climate change is something that BlackRock will incorporate into all of its investment decisions from here on out. Uh, my question to you is, which do you think um, – made a bigger difference that one letter written by one private citizen who lives in connecticut or the paris climate accord <laughs> oh my god jesus <laughs> it's a bleak oh, question answer the question kate question. <laughs> that's such a bleak question um good lord i mean i don't know on the whole i guess i would say um the paris accord I, yeah if, if I were to guess, I mean, I, I think, you know, both of them are symbolic in their own way. I think Paris is a flawed agreement. It comes out of a very flawed process. Um, it is a diplomatic achievement, right? It is, you know, good, right, to have some kind of basic framework um, through which, you know, countries can discuss bringing down emissions. It's good that that happened. Um, yeah. And I, I don't want to, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of hard work that went into um, making that happen. Um, but, you know, the BlackRock thing, I don't know. I'd be curious, you know, what you sort of heard as a, a financial journalist. I think it came out right before Davos, right? Um, before the World Economic Forum's sort of annual meeting where global elites that. come and drink champagne or whatever they do. Um, yes. And yes. In- insert stereotype here yeah every every conspiracy theory you have of of, of, of them is 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 almost true besides the (laughs) anti-semitic ones Um, yes (laughs) (laughs) uh 
but uh but yeah i mean i i saw just like really breathless coverage of it um of, mm. of, of larry fink's letter um from particularly sort of like finance folks you know this is world changing this is going to change the way the way finance works um forever yeah and it's just i mean maybe it's sure it's symbolically uh, important i guess that mm-hmm. this uh company felt compelled um to do that they certainly you know would not do it of their own accord if there weren't sort of massive climate movements um kind of popping off all over the world um Mm -hmm. but i don't think we've seen any evidence to suggest they're doing anything very different right um i mean the pledges themselves are fairly weak it was if, if i'm remembering right it was they were not going to invest in companies who get more than 20 percent of invest more than 20 percent of their portfolios in uh, thermal coal or that's or that have more than 20 percent of their business in thermal coal yeah yeah which is like i mean sure right you know coal is being <laughs> is is dying anyway uh for yeah, all sorts yeah. of reasons like if you're not going to invest in an unprofitable corporation i don't know why anybody should applaud yeah. you for that right uh um, yeah, we are gonna s- we are gonna cease canal construction right <laughs> yeah <laughs> we, uh dutch yeah, dutch windmills are done <laughs> Yeah, we will we will stop throwing trash into the Gowanus Canal, uh, which we do from horse carriages, right? Like, uh, oh my gosh, the horse market is great right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> bye. Boy, boy, do I have uh, an app idea for horses that I talk to everyone at a party that I go to. It's so the idea is city bike for horses. Anyways, enough of that. Oh my god! Right? Wow. City, yes, city, yeah, city horse. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it'd be great. I got the ho- I got all <laughs> to deliver the NYPD's like store of horses and and you know convert them mm-hmm. to civilian civilian oh, life. Oh d- oh my gosh! I mm-hmm. I'm a bank mm-hmm. messenger. I was delivering to a big building, probably UBS. It was like really close to there in the in like the um, up in Midtown. And I walked into their area. There were some horse cops just chilling in a garage, and I almost <laughs> touched one, but I had to run away so the security wouldn't attack me. No. Uh, that being said. Uh, this is so. This is sort of a follow-up to what David was saying. Um, uh, we so BlackRock obviously they cut. Co- you know they um, the assets under management they have is um, uh, a gargantuan. You know it's eight-ish, eight-ish trillion dollars. Much of it in fossil fuels still, regardless of what they. Yeah, doing. yeah, and um, I uh, we I remember when he when we, we first covered this uh, a couple of months ago, probably around January now, and it was you know it felt fairly significant at the time. And then fast forward to about, I want to say a month ago, probably three weeks ago, we, at, we, me, David, and Gabe all sort of collectively watched uh, this that new Michael Moore produced documentary oh that came out. Yeah, did you, you watch it? it? Did you I watch did. it? I did. I reviewed it. Yeah. You reviewed it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is this is this is great because I'm very curious about all the things. Because one of the things that came up in it is like. Um, that uh blackrock was like we'll invest in uh renewables but what they classified as renewables was like a significant portion or at least partially um biomass stuff with like the which was basically like cutting up uh trees and making them uh into like chips and then burning the chips and stuff and that was an aspect of it they were actually honestly it was i mean you watched it it was it was kind of a quick footnote in the in the entire thing like mm-hmm. you wouldn't notice if you weren't paying attention really but that documentary on a whole 
it was definitely very uh polarizing and there were they definitely had a sort of um a lens at least to which they were like you should you should really you should feel this way about this uh there was a lot of vermont in it there was mm-hmm. a lot of um uh david and i and gabe basically were came we- to the conclusion that uh, michael moore laundered a lot of his personality through this other guy because it's straight up difficult to make a movie if you're michael moore anymore because if like a if you, a journalist sees you you're just like i don't want to talk to you you're gonna ask you're gonna make me look really terrible you know so i guess we're we're just yeah we're, how did you feel about that like there was a lot of there was a lot of feelings in that movie what, what, what are your thoughts on it yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not a film critic. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I do think a lot about this stuff. Heads up, heads up, all of us are. So be careful. What yes, you say. yes. <laughs> we'll judge you. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a really frustrating movie. Uh, for <laughs> yes. A lot of reasons. I mean, one of which is like basically everything in that movie was filmed um, charitably four years ago, right? Yeah, um, man. It's, okay. It's, okay. It's yeah, I noticed that too. Old. Yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't I, I have no I have no concept for this stuff. I mean, as long as I'm not <laughs> seeing like a nineteen a nineteen eighty seven Dodge Dart, I know it's like it had to it like and it by has stuff, to been and by stuff filmed. Danny means time itself. Yeah. No uh, that's what I yeah. Oh man, yeah. I'm I'm just all around that stuff. Um Okay, that's good. So it was it was filmed It's very old. Uh, I mean the like there are types of you know, they focus on this um utility scale solar project which uh you know they those aren't built anymore right there's just all it's it's filled with that sort of stuff where Mm -hmm. the technology they're criticizing is just you know maybe that critique was relevant five or six years ago right there are real problems Mm -hmm. uh with it um some of which they get some of which they don't and it's just virtually irrelevant if anybody's you know actually thinking about what um what the renewable energy landscape looks like now i think the reason that i found it so frustrating maybe beyond the obvious points is that i do think there are you know real issues that it starts to bring up that you know it it raises in in kind of the worst least productive way imaginable (laughs) and kind of makes anyone who raises a version of that critique sound dumb right and so yeah for instance you know i um uh there's a sociologist named dustin mulvaney um who uh his work is on kind of environmental impacts of um, of renewables, right? He, he wrote mm-hmm. this book called Solar Power, which is really great. So it kind of looks in depth um, with, you know, empirically grounded academic research of the kind not found in Planet of the Humans um, at, you know, real issues around kind of where, where are these projects cited? Was, what does democratic mm-hmm. input look like over them? Um, you know, how do you ensure that uh, the kind of large-scale renewables development that we know we need is done in a way that is environmentally sound uh, and in a way that respects kind of the communities in which it is it is being placed, right? Those are real issues, mm-hmm. right? And I think that are so important and, and don't get talked about enough. I think, you know, people like Elon Musk and, and the kind of uh, clean energy industry is an industry, right? It, it's not, um, you know, they're not tree huggers. Uh, they're mm-hmm. not like our friends necessarily. They, <laughs> they are uh, for-profit companies, which have profit motives and they, you know, can abuse workers. They can, um, you know, be accused of all number of things very accurately. Um, and I just, there's not any of that, right? There, the, any, you know, shred of the sort of relevant critique that you would want to have, the sort of nuanced conversation I think we need to be having about yeah. scaling up 
clean power very quickly. It's just absent, right? And I wish, I want that to exist. I mean, I'm, I'm writing a book that's partially about that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I think it just really muddies the waters of, of having any kind of constructive conversation. One thing that I found tough about that uh, movie was how bleak it was. Oh, it was oh, ooh, it was bleak. Dad, that was like that was bleak fest twenty twenty, man. Yeah, that was uh, that was real. It was really difficult. <laughs> it was really difficult. I mean, just, you know, and one yeah. thing that is nice uh, as an alternative, I will. I mean, I will say, I mean, this is like not to not to be your own uh, publicity person, but your book is much more optimistic. <laughs> it is. You. It really. It, it is. It's just like it's it's. We have an actual, like I I feel like uh, the filmmaker was jeff gibbs uh and he mm-hmm. uh, it, it gibbs, seemed yeah. to be finding a lot of opportunities to call out greenwashing which is a term that is used very frequently in the environmental sector but also in the financial sector of when something calls itself environmentally friendly but is not right and he talks about occasions of greenwashing and then he talks about occasions of you know where these people are being hypocrites but then he just doesn't really focus in on like a specific unifying issue or solution right and it just it it, um i wish that he had focused more time on talking about like this is an issue of capitalism but but then sometimes he would do like he interviewed someone who talked about how we need to like start talking about population growth he interviewed a lot of a lot of uh older white people who are very excited about population growth <laughs> yeah. as the yeah. that's that's yeah. that's where Vermont Vermont is like <laughs> it's not a good a nice light <laughs> shown on uh, on Vermont in that movie <laughs> for sure yeah uh, yeah and yeah. I think I mean I I wrote about this in the review but I mean I really like a lot of Michael Moore's work I, I think you know and this is he didn't direct it obviously but sure um and I think what is good about Michael Moore's movies is that there's a sort of, you know, basic solidarity there, right? There's mm-hmm. a kind of basic sense that, like, he is on the side of working people mm-hmm. and that is kind of the aim of his critique, is that mm-hmm. you know, X group is screwing over Y group of people and mm-hmm. I'm on Y group's side, right? And that's just totally absent in Planet of the Humans, right? Humans are the enemy uh, yeah. kind of as a, yeah. as a mass and there's no sense of no sense of solidarity, it's just that, you know, we're screwed up and anyone who you know says that humans aren't screwed up is wrong and dumb or being misled and so we just need fewer fewer people overall one thing that was weird was was like he even would like interview these like old white vermonters and they would be like this wind turbine is gonna mess with my morning hikes with my grandson and it's (laughs) like that is the same basically like the same ethical criticism as like a Trump property saying they don't want windmills because it's going to ruin their golf course vistas, but with a different aesthetic, right? It's just like, a, oh, this is like for hippie aesthetics, so we are going to support this as a moral argument. But it's really the same issue, which is like, this is a blight on my hike, and I don't want this blight on my hike. I don't know. I thought it was – yeah. I, we, we talked about no it. The rudder. Po- there's like no like mm. there's no through line through it that you can really track like I, 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 I it, which makes for just such a confusing viewing experience because there's not like a, I mean, he's like into population control or whatever, but there's not like a like a coherent political economy. that's like tying the whole thing. <laughs> it's just like various critiques that get thrown out. Um, and, and you're. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is uh, maybe this sort of kind of connects it 
a little bit and maybe you could speak to this too you know because when i watched the movie you know i think i think one of the reasons that it has gotten um some traction is just because it is produced by michael moore and you know i think especially in uh environmentalist um i don't want to say environmentalist circles but people who talk about it work with it whatever you know uh various people kind of get attached to it you know um one i mean i think almost no, not inadvertently. Like, uh, you know, AOC definitely been very linked to Green New Deal stuff. You know, a person like Greta Thunberg obviously is more on, like, the youth-oriented uh, area of stuff. I mean, for a while, Al Gore was, like, mm-hmm. that guy. Um, and um, it, it kind of seems it kind of seems like it's, it's sort of doing a disservice to really just link this massive issue to just like these sole individuals like for better or for worse like i can i can say like with a a reasonable amount of like certainty that like i don't really trust al gore that much <laughs> you know like yeah I, I mean like that was one of the parts of the movie where i was like yeah, I, be- I believe al gore is probably doing some weird stuff yeah, absolutely. uh <laughs> but then but then uh you know it uh it's just the more the more like these these worldwide issues get um focus just on these single people it just sort of dilutes it and um i don't know if you have anything that you could yeah you know, yeah yeah, yeah. Speak to that um about. i mean al-, al gore is definitely a complicated figure and it's good that he's not the face of the environmental movement anymore um, yeah yeah what i will say i mean i so i was in uh spain for the for the climate talks in 2019 so mm-hmm. this past year um and this insane thing happened whenever greta thunberg was walking around, which is that every single reporter would just flock to her. So if you saw like a gaggle of, of 40 or 50 reporters um, yeah. flashing their cameras, it was, it was Greta Thunberg, right? I mean, that's um, why she, <laughs> I, yeah, that's why she's doing it, right? She said, it is only about me. Isn't that like her big message? Yeah, verbatim. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, yeah. want my picture taken as often as possible. Uh, yeah. Please put yeah. me on every. As, as, as a self-identified atypical Swede, I want <laughs> twenty people around me flashing a, a camera from in my face. I yeah. crave precisely that type of attention. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so so that happens, and then the other you know debate which is happening on the actual, you know, negotiating floor is um, figuring out how much money <laughs> the Global South should get to uh, be able to transition uh, away from fossil fuels, right? Um, it, yeah. and, 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 you know, respond to climate impacts. There are real, you know, material issues being talked about, and that just gets totally missed by, like, oh, great, Greta's here. Like, what does she have to say about mm. X, Y, or Z? Yeah. And to her credit, you know, through, through those negotiations, um, you know, brought uh, folks from the Global South up on stage with her, um, you know, has really made a, a good effort to, um, to to try to change that conversation. But the media just has this, like, total fixation um, on, you know, this, yeah. one, this one person. <laughs> I, I, I mean, in a weird it's, – it's, it is funny because she is, like, simultaneously the best and worst pers- person for them to, to, like, focus on. Because, like, I think maybe aesthetically I'm just sort of like, I don't want to have to – always have to be hearing about what this 15 year old is doing (laughs) but it is like having a conversation with like the seventh seal where it's just sort of like what do you just just there's so there's so many other people around this and she's not even really asking for it like she's absolutely just sort of like no i specifically traveled across a boat 
and an ocean so you guys would not would stop hounding me um or in protest but yeah i, I yeah I, I definitely think it it makes sense to i don't know just not dilute but just broaden um you yeah. know like Greta Thunberg where, and, where, her, and her family like I want Greta Thunberg and yeah. her, and her personal life, and Greta Thunberg and where she's gonna go to college. Like the, the, that's what you mean by broaden, right, Danny? So yes, 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 exactly. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Kate, what's gonna what's gonna happen? Um, just generally, like what? Like how are we gonna? <laughs> like, question. Yeah, I guess. So. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, what's just what's gonna happen? Just generally in the next, I don't know, politically, yeah, politically in terms of climate change. Oh my god! Um, I think if I knew that answer to that question, I would have finished yeah. my, my book already. What? What? Um, maybe? Maybe? Uh, maybe yeah. What can? What can happen? What can happen? Yes. Um, that I I like that question more. Um, <laughs> there's a lot that can happen, right? I mean, we had Steve Mnuchin two months ago standing up uh, in front of a press conference and saying that deficits don't matter. Um, both parties wow. have, you know, seemingly agreed that we can spend trillions of dollars to like take on urgent, urgent crises. Um, there's a lot that can happen, right? I think, I think, you know, we're uh, seeing, uh, you know, a, a willingness for for big public spending uh, on the s- approaching the scale that we would want to see for kind of rapid decarbonization, um, mm-hmm. looking just so much more tangible than it did three months ago, right? I mean, even when we wrote the book, which wasn't that long ago, um, we were, you know, uh, thinking about this very aspirationally. I mean, I think, you know, was was certainly still within within the realm of possibility there, but Mm -hmm. um, the presence of, you know, a a recession um, and then likely depression just changes that picture entirely. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I think, you know, there is even outside of the United States energy for something like a green stimulus, um, in different places, and and I think that you know has to be what happens uh, here. I mean, obviously yeah. that you know the Trump administration is not going to um, come out with a green stimulus, but I, I think there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. What if, what if Ivanka talks <laughs> to him again? What if? <laughs> yeah. <she? laughs> uh, that's so it. I mean, yeah. That's the yeah. That's the uh, that's the. That's the only fun thing about the Trump administration is that, like, I don't know, you f- you really don't fucking know sometimes. <laughs> it's just uh, it's up in the air, dude. <laughs> I mean, yeah. maybe it's maybe he'll uh, nationalize the fossil fuel industry, and then you know, if there's a Democratic administration, they can do whatever they want with it, right? Uh, uh, oh, that'd be cool if he just like actually yeah. s- stupidly half like half assed walked his way into like full-fledged like scaling down carbon de- you know decarbonizing and nationalizing these uh fossil fuel polluters. yeah i mean and and even outside of that i mean you know using the defense production act for instance um mm-hmm. yeah that is you know putting a giant tool just in the lap of anyone who wants to do real climate policy um and you know mm. so i think you know i think there's a lot oh. of really good exciting things that can happen there's obviously of terrible things um that that could happen and and certainly the people who would do the terrible things are the ones who have more power right now mm-hmm. uh but uh but but yeah i mean i i have no claim uh to know what what will happen but i think there is a real um a real responsibility to to you know as as we try to do in the book kind of lay out what a better 
um, a better state of things could look like. And I think people are really hungry for that in a way that maybe they haven't been for a long time. That's very interesting. Cool. Um, very quickly, too, actually. Uh, you know, I remember back in the um, the late aughts, from somewhere between like 06 and 2010, there was more of a push uh, from Republicans to like kind of a- acknowledge like climate change more. And then there was just kind of like a little bit a little bit of a flip-flop on it. Um, and obviously, um, you have, like, a, a collection of Democrats who are more vocal about it. Are there, like, are there like um, any any Republicans or conservatives, like, that you can think off, off the top of their head who are actually making, like, good good faith efforts toward that? It's like, is there, like, a representative from, like, the Florida Keys who's like, we will, will not exist in 30 years if you don't, if you don't uh, acknowledge this, and this is just that's just a random question because I, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. You or know? even no, like, yeah. or even are, what are the countries that you're saying are doing considering a green stimulus? Yeah. Yeah. I well, for the first question, um, I don't think there are any good faith Republicans who are doing that, and it's certainly very far from the kind of DNA of the Republican Party right now. Um, to do that and i think what we've seen just time and time again is that when it looks like some sort of climate policy is going to happen um they will you know come on board and support it and if it doesn't look like it's going to happen they will move away um but the Mm -hmm. the goal is always to make make the climate climate policy be as non-threatening to the people who climate policy should be threatening to namely the fossil Mm -hmm. fuel industry um, and that is, you know, the basis on which the Republican Party uh, engages, which may not be true forever, but it's definitely true now. Um, and so, yeah, I think we're we're still certainly waiting for the for the big bipartisan, you know, kumbaya moment thing, thing, whatever it may be. <laughs> on, uh, yeah, on climate. Um, in terms of countries doing a, a a kind of green stimulus, I mean, the biggest and also probably most complicated one is this this European Green Deal. Um, the European mm-hmm. Commission, which, uh, speaking of BlackRock, um, the mm-hmm. BlackRock has been handed uh, sort of control over um, the ESG policy, uh, cool. environmental and social governance policy, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, for the, the for the European <laughs> Commission, I think. Um, tight. That's tight as hell, dude. <laughs> yeah. So that's how that's going, um, mm-hmm. and there, you know, are efforts to make it better and, and more comprehensive. So I think that's mm-hmm. that's an ongoing fight. Um, South Korea is 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 pursuing a green new deal it's part of its recovery response um they Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um uh, handled the coronavirus just so much better uh than 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 we did in the united states um and so you know we'll see they have this you know newly elected uh kind of center-left government which is uh newly re-elected center-left government um which which people you know seem to like i'm not an expert on south korean politics at all um but that uh yeah, people seem hopeful, hopeful about that. Um, where else? I mean, those are those are the two I've been I've been thinking about recently. But I, I think there are others. I mean, New, New Zealand has been doing sort of interesting things along this front for some time. They're of course very tiny, um, but yeah, there are a lot of yeah. places that are that are. I think we truly just haven't seen. I think a lot of the the big fiscal policy we've seen so far has been um, response. It's been you know how do we stop the bleeding. Obviously, yeah. people can't go to work, et cetera. So I, I don't think we've seen quite the sort of um, big uh, recovery packages, which you would more expect to have the kind of green stimulus type things um, mm-hmm. included in. But I think that, you know, we'll see in the next couple of months. 
Yeah, cool. yeah. New Zealand, man. New Zealand, they got a they got a total investment in that. Uh, they don't. They want the. It's like their brand, man. It's the, it's Say the, what? That's their brand. That's like their. They've always kind of been cool with that stuff, you know. Like they don't have nuclear power. They've right. They have a, a oh, they ton have of geothermal, which is oh yeah. all right. Well, they 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 just don't yeah. want a global climate catastrophe because of all those goddamn billionaires who keep being like, "I'm gonna buy some land <laughs> out here." Like they. <laughs> They always fucking go down to New Zealand just to buy like some like some land. It's like all right. It's an insurance man, we policy know, we against Peter Thiel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They should have some. They should have some anti-aircraft guns plotted at the sky, w- w- like pointed at any sort of like uh, private jet coming in, because you know who that is. <laughs> coming into New Zealand. All right. It's either the other Peter, Peter Jackson, who made the Lord of the Rings, oh, yeah. or uh, Peter Thiel, who uh, wants to drink your blood. Mm-hmm. Only one yeah. Peter is welcome. Yeah, it's only one Peter in this country at one time. Uh, David, <laughs> is that? Are we? Uh, David, do we have any? Do we have any other questions? I think that's uh, that's all I got. I think that that's a good optimistic note to end on. New Zealand firing anti-aircraft missiles <laughs> at Peter Thiel. Uh, oh yeah! Oh yeah! Uh, Kate, anything else you want to say? Uh, what do you have, do? You guys have a title yet for your new book? Uh, so the book that I am working on, uh, and we'll hopefully do a few hours of work on tonight uh is coming out in early 2021 uh it's called overheated uh how capitalism broke the planet and how we fix it from bald type thanks yeah sweet awesome uh kate aronoff thanks so much for uh coming on on the show we really appreciate you thanks for having me yeah oh yeah we're all about fun over here all right (laughs) it's it's, it's all about uh but yeah thanks for thanks for being here all right take care thanks yeah thanks so much okay yep bye-bye Bye, y'all. When well, you want to woo-woo, it's that woo-woo, woo-woo. Woo-woo, woo-woo.